Uh, just a pleasure to be here today. I do want to get right into the Word because I do have a lot to say. It's been a couple years now since I've had the opportunity to really preach. I did, I did preach uh, at Lighthouse a couple weeks ago, and I was like, man, I, I need to hone things together because I was just like, boom, 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 like kind of shotgun preaching. Uh, uh, but hopefully today there's going to be a flow, and you're going to be able to be blessed and be touched, and you're going to sense the Spirit of God. So let's just pray. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit, Lord, we come today. Lord, we come right now being willing, Father. We might not have come expecting, but Father, move upon us that we might expect that you are more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could hope to ask, think, or imagine according to your power, which is at work in us right now. Your power same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in us now. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened to know you, to know you better, to know the hope to which we are called, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and that incomparably great power for those who believe. Father, give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation today we ask in the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, you can turn I want to use as a springboard what Paul, the Apostle Paul used really as a benediction in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Now when we were out at Bethel, like Bibles were kind of, those with pages were a thing of the past and people all had their iPads and iPhones with the little page apps, you know, I don't know, they, they have these apps that turn the pages so you, you sound at least like you're a little bit holy, you know, so... Anyway, I just want to use this as a springboard because this is something that, as I look back in my, my life that God has been uh, doing in me, uh, having been called to the ministry fairly early and having a chance to kind of see an overview of what God has been doing with the body of Christ for a few years, um, it's come to a point where, where I realize, wow, in hindsight, and how I know hindsight is 2020, in hindsight, there's some things right here that I want to jump into, and I'm going to, I'm going to highlight the, the first one. I might as well read it here. I guess I have it up there. Uh, let's read it together. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Okay. Now that's, that sounds like a benediction. Paul said a number of times in his epistles, uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We could use that one. But I really felt like there, that there's something that God is restoring to the church. Because for, for a long time, as I thought about the church, especially what we would call the Spirit-filled church, it's like, God, what is wrong with the Spirit-filled church? Why isn't it more effective than it should be? Why aren't people like just pounding the doors down, wanting to come in, wanting to be a part of what God is doing? I mean, surely God is in the house and God is moving and such. What is the issue? What is the problem? And we realize that, that the revelation of the Holy Spirit is what makes a Spirit-filled church. And there's other terminologies such as full gospel church would include more, maybe the, the gifts of the Spirit and other things that, that have been restored to the church, restored to the body of Christ, that we have said, wow, this is ours, full gospel. And yet we've called it full gospel, and over generations it's been called full gospel. And yet I really believe the fullness of the gospel has not been revealed until just recently, at least to the church here. Now, I've been a believer since 1984, 30 years, since I was born. I was a believer. No, maybe not. I have five children. My oldest is 25. So I was at least, what was I, 37 when she was born? Something like that. No, no, no. Okay, I was a little older. Um, and so in that time, I've been able to see Okay, hindsight, God, I'm seeing some things. And in this time that we've spent away from uh, the local church and, and out uh, with Bill Johnson at Bethel Church, that's where Jesus culture is. How many have ever heard of Jesus culture? You know, particularly the, the music, although it's a huge ministry and such. And, uh, and, and it's recognized as a world, worldwide revival center. And I realize that there's an aspect there uh, in this apostolic prophetic headship, and I know I might be throwing out words that some of you, uh, it might be just, you know, like speaking in tongues too, that's fine. Others might get it. So my apostolic prophetic uh, 
atmosphere where heaven is open and the spiritual realm is just like common. I mean, when we were out there, everybody and their little kids and their dog would prophesy over you. You know how the dog would heal? Heal dog, you know? These dogs would come up and be like, you know, and then they'd start prophesying. I'm kidding about the dogs prophesying. Okay, I'm kidding. But little children would do it, and people, it just seemed like there was a dynamic, a spiritual dynamic out there that was really something I hadn't experienced before. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to strap my seatbelt on and kind of unlearn what I think I know and learn some things. And so, back to these three. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, which we could put in parentheses, the Father. And, and you know, Jesus uh, defined Whenever he spoke about God, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, who was the God he was talking about, the Father. It's a Trinitarian statement, right? God loved the world, he gave his Son. So we could put in there the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father, love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Many of us are aware of that. As God reveals things to our hearts, there's a knowing of the truth. It's not just knowing. It's kind of like with your kids. Like you can say, did you hear me? And they will always like respond, yes, I heard you. But, but their actions will determine whether or not they actually heard you. And so... The truth, it's the knowledge, that deep, penetrating, revelation knowledge that changes our lives. If it doesn't become revelation knowledge, it does not change our lives. Revelation being that the Spirit of God infuses it into our spirits and brings that thing alive to us. So I had, uh, in 1984 I was saved, 1985 I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in a Southern Baptist church. How you like them apples, huh? <laughs> yes, in a Southern Baptist church, I was baptized. I, I'm uh, in the Holy Spirit. And so I, I came to understand this. Uh, I didn't understand the Holy Spirit, but I understood that there was this person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit and that there were gifts and these things. And God, it seems, had been restoring that revelation uh, since back at uh, many of uh, you that would be study church history at all or let, or revivals like back at Azusa Street, the early 1900s. I was not there, however. No, <laughs> I won't go there. Is there any among us? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble with this one. Okay. And so um, God had been restoring these truths. And as I looked at these three, three, three things, there, there's a number of things that I could preach on. There's a number of things that come to mind but I really believe that the Spirit of God is saying that these three things, these things that Paul, maybe we looked at as a passing benediction, are like pillars in the church, or like, or like legs on a stool. And if you wonder, I was wondering, like, what's wrong with the Holy Spirit Church? Everyone knew that the Spirit-filled church was just a little bit, one leg on a stool makes you just a little bit weird, right? Trying to balance with this one leg on the stool. And then um, through, the, through the 90s, how many were around during the renewal with Jack Frost, actually Randy Clark, uh, Toronto Blessing and such? Do you, raise your hand if you know what the renewal is. So, but at that time, there was a revelation of the Father's love being restored to the church. And I'll be honest, at that time, uh, based on where I was at, I, I would come to these renewal meetings, and for one thing, the, the, the minister would come by me, and he would... Uh, you know, at that time, we would, like, line up in the front, and the man of God who was anointed at the time somehow or other would come by, and he would, like, touch you. And I would look, and many people would just be, like, collapsed. And for quite a while, he would, he would put his hand on me, and I'm like, come on, is that all you got? Fake, 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 fake. No, I, wasn't, I wasn't completely a, a skeptic, but uh, I was not in a place to receive. Through all that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably double, double this here in a bit, but through all that time, I never personally received any depth of the revelation of the Father's love. So it seems from my perspective that the Lord has been restoring this foundation to the body of Christ uh, in my 30 years as a believer. It will be in September. Uh, it will be 30 years since I gave my life to, to the Lord. And that the, during that time, I, to me, 
it seemed like things had been restored in reverse order. And those that have been around in the kingdom longer, you probably would say, oh no, this, these revelations came. And these are not new revelations, okay? These are 2,000-year-old revelations that God is restoring to the body of Christ, to the church. There's nothing new about that. But some of you might have been around Christianity a lot longer and say, oh, this came through then, you know, Father's love here, and of course the Holy Spirit and such. But to me... Uh, I, I early on, you know, again, being saved in 84 and getting baptized in the Spirit um, in, uh, in um, the Little Baptist Church in 1985. So I experienced the dimension of the Holy Spirit, read all the books like Benny Hinn's uh, Good Morning Holy Spirit. And, you know, I wanted to hang out with the Holy Spirit. I tried practicing, um, you know, uh, um, being, spending time with the Holy Spirit and such, which I'm sure many of you have. And then, of course, I mentioned the Father's love revelation coming around. I was saved in 84. Father's love broke out in 94. And in that time, I would love to say, oh, I was just slammed. And God came on me, and I was foaming at the mouth and rolling on the floor and crying and weeping and laughing all at the same time for hours and hours and hours. I wish that was my testimony, but I would be lying to you if that happened. It just kind of came. And in a lot of ways, you'll see in a second, I really, I really was not open for God to do that. For me. But lastly, and this is the revelation that God, that was kind of the key, the door opener for me, that last revelation, which is actually mentioned first in our scripture again, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And I just make a note communion is the communion of or with the Holy Spirit is also, we, are, we have communion with the Holy Spirit and we have communion in the Spirit as we are all in part of the fellowship. As it says in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching into the fellowship, the breaking of bread into prayer, which I know many of you already know. So our fellowship is with, but the word does say our fellowship is with the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also our fellowship is with one another. And so there's a, a there, God is restoring that. These things are not mutually exclusive. I'm not trying to pull them apart and say one can stand without the other. Because just like the illustration of the stool, with the two legs on a stool, you get a little bit more ability to you know, balance yourself. But you get a third leg in there, and that's pretty solid. And so I really believe that, that for me and for many, that this very first one, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of that has been restored, and for me it was a key to all these other things, and experiencing all that God would have, and really it changed my life in ministry. I'd, I was kind of a bonehead for a while. I know you find that hard to believe, those of you that know me, but, um, but my, my makeup, my, my gifting, fivefold gifting is teacher, and my motivational gifting happens to be teacher. It's a double whammy. My wife, her like motivational gift is servant, and she's like like born a servant and like so we're like it works great it worked great for me for 20 years because I like to be served you know and she loved to serve and then after about 20 years we've been married over 25 years now after about 20 years the revelation came on to her that maybe maybe she she would like to be served a little bit too so that created a little bit of fireworks <laughs> in our marriage but God was working in all these things and um all right, let me go ahead and uh, I want to, uh, again, I want my emphasis is going to be on, my emphasis is going to be on grace, okay, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just define it really quickly. Uh, it's very simple. You might know in the New Testament, it's the word charis, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude, acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, grace, of course, that's a repeat of the word. Joy, liberality, pleasure, thank, or thankfulness. In the Old Testament, and that's used a number of times. Uh, I was just listening to, to Beth Moore. Interesting, as you're getting ready to preach things, different pastors will often, or, or ministers will often preach certain things. And she was, having, was talking about this. And she mentioned that, and I didn't look her up on this, that, that the word grace was mentioned 106 times. And then in the English Standard Version, something like 113 times, something like that. Now again, in the, in the Greek, the New Testament, charis, that word grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it's more than, I, I hate to say unmerited favor, because it's kind of like infused with power and goodness and, and other benefits. It's, kinda, it's, it's like undefinable, but yet if you're going to lay a definition on it, it would, it would be 
you know, and nothing that we could do to get the favor of God upon us. In the Old Testament, uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, said that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. That word there in the Old Testament is, I believe, pronounced Cain. In its graciousness, that is, subjectively, kindness and favor, or objectively, beauty. Favor, pleasant, precious, favored. You today, in God's eyes, are highly favored. You are His beloved. I hope to, to bring that out to you, because many of us, we don't understand that. We say, yeah, 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 okay, theologically that might be the case. But still where I'm living, I feel the effects of condemnation. I feel the effects of sin and the, the addictions and things I can't get a handle on. Because the reality is, many of us live, we live out there where the rubber meets the road. Hopefully not under where the rubber meets the road. We live out there where the rubber, meet, rubber meets the road. And what I'm speaking, I, I, I really believe, needs to penetrate our hearts, including the young people that are in here. I'm sorry, little children, that you have to suffer here with Pastor Mike. But there's no better place. And hopefully we can, uh, we can bring you into that a little bit. I've always liked children in the service. I always like kids' noises. Kids tend to bring reality to us. And it gets us out of our little zone or whatever. And if, they're, if they carry on too much, I'll just have them come up here and do something. All right, are, we, are you with me? You're not sure what to think yet? We're, we're going to jump in. Um, in order to springboard into uh, how this grace affects our lives and such and more preaching to you, I want to give some of my story because I really feel that it's very beneficial to, to bring us to that point. And because I've been around a while, many of you are wondering, who is this masked man? Or who is this, who is this guy? Okay, so I can see God's hand upon me since I was young. Okay, I was raised Catholic until I was actually 18 years of age. And yet, even when I was a little boy, I knew the hand of God was on me somehow or other. My dad had said, uh, he told somebody at work, he worked, we, we lived in Connecticut, and he worked at the, uh, at, uh, it was either Pratt and Whitney or Hamilton Standard at the time, building airplane engines. And uh, one of the guys asked what, I, what my name was. He said, well, we're going to call him Michael. He said, oh, Michael, he's going to grow up strong and fight the devil. I'd like to go back and wring that guy's neck, you know, it's like... <laughs> I'd like to go back and have some words because I'm telling you, it was prophesied and my life has been fighting. And I've been like, it's like I've been wired to, to fight the enemy and, uh, and to just deal with principalities and powers. It's like some people like to play video games. Some people like to play tennis. What do I like to do? I like to wrestle principalities and powers. It's, kind of, it's, it's just kind of fun, you know? That's what I do in my spare time, you know? I'm kind of making a joke of it, but that, that is a lot of, of what I did, particularly when I was ministering up at Faith Mountain. But we're not there yet. So I was raised, and I knew the hand of God was on me young. In fact, as an altar boy, shh, don't tell anyone, but I would go back into the place where, where the priest would put the wine. I was an altar boy. You know, I was on my way because I thought I wanted to be a priest. So I would go where the wine was, and I would do what the priest would do, and help myself to the wine, stuff like that. But I, I knew the hand of God was on me. And I was radically saved for the sake of time. I'm going to try to keep this moving. I was radically saved at, uh, at the age of 18. Through my teen years, I started getting into... Uh, I thought I was... Actually, I thought I was a pretty good American kid. I, I only drank like on weekends. And I learned... And, you know, my, and my sister introduced me to pot. And so... Uh, and, and of the two, I started learning that I hate hangovers. In fact, I just had a conversation like with uh, one of the guys that's at work where I've been uh, working part-time. And it's just great being like, with real people to like, talk. And you know, before they find out I'm the preacher, that kind of ruins it. But uh, before, then, <laughs> before then, I get all the colorful accolades you know, and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, man, I couldn't stand the hangover, so I just went and smoked pot. I'm like, yeah, me too. And I did that. Okay? Now, don't think low of me. That was, that was over 30 years ago. Surely there's redemption. Okay? So 30 years ago that happened, and yet, and yet my dad would always say, don't take candy from strangers. And, you know, I took a hit, which is, a, which is sucking on a foul little thing that comes with its own demons. Uh, and it, it was laced, what I was told was laced with angel dust. And I don't know if many, any of you are familiar with that. But I all of a sudden went on a trip. <laughs> Far, far away. But during that time, I started experiencing, I've never ex experienced before, a severe anxiety attack. And I didn't know what it was. My heart was going, right, was going through my chest. And um, I know I can't linger too much on this. But for kids, so you know this, bad stuff can happen if you take stuff from strangers, okay? And, and, you know, it happened to me. 
And all of a sudden, I became aware of the spirit realm, and I was aware that my body and my spirit were two separate things. And something, someone, I don't know if it, to this day if it was a person or it was a, a demon or what, walked up, laughed in my face, and said, uh, he said, you're on the highway to hell. Well, that was a dumb thing for the devil to do, because at that time, my brother, who'd been a Christian for, at that time, it was 84, for five years and had been sharing Jesus, gave us all, left all these chick tracks around, you know, like, if you don't get saved now, you're going to burn in hell. How many remember the chick tracks? Do you remember those things? This was your life. <laughs> and so I would go and I'd read the prayer at the end. Uh, Lord, free me, Lord, free me. But I knew I never really gave my heart to the Lord. But I, at, at that time, when, I, when my life was like, I thought I was going to die. I knew if I died, I was not saved. I knew it. I knew if I died, I would go to hell. I felt myself being pulled to hell. And I cried out. I said, Jesus, if you can save me, I will live for you. And I just threw myself on God's grace. And immediately, some kind of like honey type thing just poured all over me. And although my chest, my heart was still beating out of my chest, all the fear, the dread, the anxiety, all of a sudden it turned. It just turned, and I was just like, I was truly happy at that point. I knew instantly that I was saved. I knew if I died, I would not go to hell. And I knew that I had the call of God in my life, that I'd never be fulfilled unless I was doing something with the gospel, something for the kingdom. Now, again, that was, that was a rebirthing of what God had done in me when I was having his hand on my life, even when I was little, even before I was born. By the way, God knew you before you were born, too. And he has a plan and purpose for each and every one of you. And you are his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Hallelujah. Okay. And so, um, and one of the interesting things I need to know for the sake of the, the, where, where we're going, as a Catholic, we didn't pray, we said our prayers. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed down on that. I don't know if I can say that in one of these churches that might be considered swearing or something. I don't know. So, you know, you say your Hail Marys, you say your... We said our prayers. And I brought that formulaic thing into my Christianity. Well, I was saved in this uh, Southern Baptist church, filled with the Spirit in the Southern Baptist church. Started getting a, a, just different fundamental type teachings. And then I started getting this uh, out of uh, Albany. I would turn on this WJTL out of Albany, and I had this guy Kenneth Hagin on there. Kenneth Hagin uh, is the father of the Word of Faith movement. And so I started listening to this, and I'm like whoa, there's a whole lot more to this than I know. And so I started getting this foundation in faith. And let me tell you, as I grew in, in this foundation of faith, now I am aware that there are many that have gone, say, out to Raymond where, where he was, uh, he's no longer with us, died in 2003, that kind of like got in, off on a different tangent or whatever. But I loved Brother Hagen and what he had to say to me. And I, I gleaned a lot of stuff from him. And I started using those principles and, and I was good at using principles. I came out of the Catholic Church, and it's like there's a formula. You take the formula, you use the principle. And the amazing thing was it would work. And I mean, throughout our, throughout our lives, we, we've, you know, I'd be like praying. Like, I feel like God wants us to give a car away, Deb, you know. And so she'd be like, well, okay, you know. And uh, we would do that, and God would give us cars. I mean, we, I mean, Chris had mentioned when he was preaching up here about how we ended up being in our house debt-free. That was all that foundation of faith that was in me. But if you asked me at that time why it was that I got into this house debt-free, I probably would have said something like, well, by faith. You know, develop your own faith. Go meditate on the Word, start confessing, and pray five or six hours in the Spirit every day, and you too can have this faith. <laughs> you know? And so my understanding was very formulaic and, and kind of one-sided there. That's important to know because it carries over here. And so... Um, after being uh, kind of right, saturated in, uh, in the Word of Faith, which, uh, by the way, the key scriptures for that, I won't give them to you here, were Mark eleven twenty two through 24, Have faith in God, for I say unto thee, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them. <laughs> All right? <laughs> That's basically the foundation of that. And hey, it worked great. And, uh, and let me just leave it at that, because uh, uh, I live much of my life based on this. Again, I came with this formulaic idea. I came uh, with an understanding of if I wanted something, I needed to do it. I needed to act. I needed to be the one to put the thing in motion. 
uh, was not yet uh, revealed, it had not been revealed that it was really by God's grace. I, I would have theologically agreed with that, but, but yeah, 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 but, but, it, but it's me. It's my meditation, it's my speaking in tongues, it's my, uh, all these things that I would do, it's my sowing the seed, that's what brought God's blessing and favor. And that worked really well for quite a while. And then the Lord jerked the chain on me, but I won't get there quite yet. So, so I ended up going to, the, to this, I went to Elam Bible Institute. Uh, how many ever heard of Elam? Uh, it's in New York, met my wife. Now we have five children. Abby's 25, CJ 23. Abby's married, living in Connecticut. CJ's getting married in October. We're, and he's not 100% sure where he's going to live. So let's just extend the hand to CJ. and uh, We can influence and then uh, Michaela, who's with us, uh, when we were out in California, she's 20, we left her in California. We're like, that's it, you're staying in California. So we came back without her. <laughs> but she, she went to two years of uh, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry uh, with Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, and those out there. Now she's back with us for the moment, waiting on what God might have. And then, uh, I had, and then after seven years of silence, we had two others, Levi and Annalise, who are also here with us right now. <clears throat> okay. After this foundation of theology and such, I uh, went off to Elam, Mary Deb, had these kids, and I got involved in this church, which was very interesting, because remember, I had this Catholic upbringing in this formulaic approach to God, and the pastor of the church where I was going was very much, uh, if you want to say maybe the word of faith is kind of over here with, with what we, with our faith, can do to make God do what whatever, not really, not what Brother Hagin believed, but, but kind of what you, you kind of can get off on. Uh, the pastor I was with was way over here. Uh, I call it Kesara Sarah Christianity, very fatalistic. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, whatever, <laughs> you know. He's way over here, and so his understanding is, is kind of, in a nutshell, like it's all God, it's not us. We are nothing but, you know, uh, what is it, uh, um, We've only done our duty. We are, we are just ungrateful servants or whatever. We've only done our duty. That was his, his place. I'm over here. And his, his mantra would be, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, which I don't think you'll find that word in the Bible. But anyway, God is sovereign. And I'm over here basically saying, God's not sovereign. God's not sovereign. It's like, it's all God. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's what you can believe. It's what you can believe. It's what you can believe. So... In any road, there, there are ditches. If, I'm, if you're the road, there are, there are ditches. And I was over in this ditch. He was over in that ditch. Needless to say, bam, 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 bam. But you see, as a teacher, teacher, my, uh, again, my motiva- motivational gifting, my five-fold ministry gifting being teacher, I'm like solid in this. Like, this guy's a heretic. And I'm like, but I'm serving underneath him. I stayed there for six years, trying to honor him, trying to... Do because in my mind I'm like, well, he's Saul, and you know I'll be David, and and we'll just we'll just make it through. But in the meantime, during that time, I went through a lot of emotional turmoil and a lot of fear and things that rose up in me because my theology said if I have to do it and if I don't do it, uh, it's, it, something's going to happen. And so I started having evil forebodings. Joyce Meyer talks about those. I started having dread and stuff, and it really messed with my. With my, with my core, started having anxiety attacks and all that sort of thing. That being said, I left there, went to Elam Bible Institute one more time, finished up, because I've only gone two years, got married, and I didn't just leave for two years. The president actually said, if I were you, I'd go right into ministry, get married, da, 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 da. I had the word of those over me. So I came back, had a, had a time of recovery, but then was visiting down in this area, and that's when I first met Mel Good. How many know Mel Good? Now, I'd been living underneath and ministering underneath this high-pressure, high-tense person for quite a while and uh and i'm like you know it's all about performance it's like i mean he would only come into my i mean he's a good guy and he loves god but he would only come into my office like in six years he only came into my office a couple times and it was not to say hey how's it going it was to say um we need to look at this uh you know whenever there was a problem whenever there was an issue now he had no father figure in his life and i understood that but that was all around, I left that church in 94, that's when renewal broke out, was in 94. I was not in a position to receive a revelation of the Father's love at that time, although I would have believed I already had the revelation of the Father's love. I saw all the blessings of God. See, he would say, well, God is sovereign, da, 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 da. And I'm like over here saying, well, you know what? 
you've got no fruit to show for it, but I'm like giving cars away. I'm getting blessed and things are different. Happen. You know, God, God's pouring in. I'm like, I got the fruit. You got nothing, you know? And yet, uh, I was like, okay. So I'm thoroughly convinced he's a heretic. And I'm not, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, I'm not edgy or uh, extreme. <laughs> I'm not extreme. You know, you ever heard the term hyperfaith? You ever heard that? Well, I don't understand, for one thing, if there is a hyperfaith, I really want to have it, the real deal. But if it's not real, <laughs> I felt like I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like, it's over here. And it all had to do with the scripture I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to here in just a moment. So we ministered with this youth ministry uh, in this church in Connecticut. Six years, went to Elam. And then we ended up coming here um, to this area. And, and I remember Pastor Mel, like, we were just passing through, and we were not considering this. In fact, on the table, I had already, Mike Cavanaugh, who's the pastor, uh, no longer the pastor, now he's like the apostle, the bishop of Elam Gospel Church, um, okay, my, I got to keep moving. My, uh, Mike Cavanaugh had asked for, he had basically walked up and told me, we need a youth pastor. I believe God told me you're the one. I'm like, what do you do with that? Okay. So I started going to the meetings and all that. Well, in the meantime, I met Pastor Mel, Mel Good. And, uh, and he said, man, you ought to come down here with us. And, and I talked to my wife about it and she's like, you are crazy. Now, her parents lived in this area. In fact, I think Jason and Pam might have been coming to this church right at that time. Her parents were in this area, had an uncle in this area. And, and Pastor Mel was like, man, we'll give you 5000 I remember him saying, five, that's all we can give you is 5000 I'm like, 5000 an hour, a week, a month? Uh, turns out 5000 a year. I'm like, okay, I got the whole package up there. And I'm over here. Now, mind you, the, the, the EGC thing really scared me at that time because of what happened with, with Connecticut. I was like, I'm not going there unless that's God. I, so I'm looking over here, and we're lining up like the pros and cons, and Elam's got this long list. Stay, all these relationships, you know, influence, and da-da-da-da-da. And over here, the list was this long. <laughs> I'll be near my parents, her. You know, and that was it. And so, but, but Pastor Mel, he said to me, he said, you know, we may succeed and we may fail, but we're going to have fun. And I'm telling you, that blew my mind. I'm like, I'm going there. You know, that's where I'm going. And Deb was like, no, 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 no. And so, and, you know, in the meantime, I thought, you know, this is going to be a time of, of sitting underneath a man, this man's ministry for a little bit and then, then we'll go back to normal suburban ministry where, of course, we must be called. Uh, so that was back in 1995, and, uh, and that was our plan. In fact, even when we were looking at buying the, the, the house uh, that Chris talked about, um, we were like, do we put our roots this far down? We're already here four and a half years, and, uh, and we're supposed to be just getting going and then leaving. But we felt, well, God called us and you know the church up there on the mountain had been wheeler of a mennonite church i did not know what a mennonite was until i had met my wife i never heard of one not one ever and so then i i, I went up there and i made a few pastoral blunders such as <laughs> I, won't, I won't get into that let's just say that they were very gracious with me there's that word again they were very gracious with me and so uh, we weren't planning to settle in the area, but during this whole time, remember, I have this belief system in me that I need to make it happen. I need to make it happen as long as I can produce, as I, I'm, of, I'm of use. But that was kind of my, uh, you know, it was in me that I need to, when I'm producing, things are good. How about, how about us right now? When we are doing well, things are good, right? But when we're not doing well, are things just as good? This is an indicator of whether or not we have a revelation of living in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't until uh, 2009, after 20, 25 years of ministry, living underneath this burden of that I needed to, I was responsible for my Christianity. Now, now there, are, there are truths here that you, we need to understand. What I'm telling you, it's not just all God's responsibility. He's not going to get up and pray through you in the morning. If I'm praying in the Spirit, I am praying in the Spirit. But... He'll come along and, and help. So I'm not trying to, you know, advocate some kind of, you know, just, just. My, I guess where I was is that my whole thing was God helps those who help themselves because it had to be in the Bible, right? Is that in the Bible? No, not at all. So I'm glad some of you are Bible scholars. It's not in there. But that was my fundamental thinking. I knew, I knew the Bible, so I knew it wasn't really in there. But my, 
But see, where I was, was I was operating out of, I came to Jesus, and I got cleansed by the cleansing flow in the blood, and then I'm like, thank you very much. Now, give me the rules, show me how, what I must do, and I'm going to be the best one that I can be. I came right out from under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because I thought salvation by grace is like, you know, it's by grace we are saved through faith, that not of ourselves, the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? I would have said of that scripture, by the way, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Yeah, through faith. It's faith. Believe in God. It wasn't by grace. I mean, yeah, it was by grace, but, you know, whatever. Because grace was not like one of the revelations that God had brought to me at that time. It was my ability to believe. My ability to believe. How's your ability to believe? Does that put you under condemnation or what? How quickly can I get you under condemnation? How's your ability to believe? Well, not too good. You know what? It has nothing to do with your ability to believe. It has to do with who it is that you're believing in. When you see him for who he really is, you will be amazed at your ability to believe in that moment. Oh, Shandalaba. Okay. All right. And I mentioned that scripture. Maybe it can be up there. uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. Now in this, and I like to say it like this, with that whole grace, faith thing, that I had the emphasis on the wrong syllable, or the emphasis on the wrong syllable, you might have heard. And I, and, and I could not get away from that because I had no revelation of that. It was all faith. faith. We were taught faith. We were taught believe God. Believe God. Is believing important? Do, do, you, do you see uh, do you see first and then believe? Is that how the kingdom works? No. We believe and then we see. But this believing, this faith, comes through, it's like a package deal with the grace of God. When we begin to see what Jesus has done on the cross, His finished work on the cross, that it affects us today. And I've, I've been around a few churches since, since leaving uh, Faith Mountain a few years back. And I'm telling you, the, the gospel, Jesus being the center of, of the gospel, is not being preached very often in the churches. It's more like kind of principles to obey or, or these different maybe of scriptures. And I mean, I used to preach, I, I preached a lot of scriptures without Jesus being in it. But the, the crazy part is, is that everything has to come through the cross because we are now in the New Testament. Everything we have is through the cross of Christ. We cannot, we should not go a day without coming back to the cross. Uh, whatever, whether it's healing or restoration of marriages or, or uh, deliverance or, or uh, provision or prosperity, call it what you want. All those things are only ours through the cross of Christ. Do we get that? It is only ours through the cross. So this whole thing about, you know, the old rugged cross, what we sing about, and we do focus, by the way, in worship. Jesus was in the worship songs. You know you're really, you, you know you're really uh, slipping when Jesus isn't even in the worship songs, right? But you guys did good. Jesus was in the worship songs. If he wasn't, it would be like, well, let's have a, I don't know, polka or something, you know. But no, Jesus is in the worship songs. All right. So after 25 years of serving God uh, with this with this position, um, uh, for the Lord to penetrate my intellectual and theological and spiritual strongholds, it had to take uh, a miracle. In 2009, I got to the end of myself, and I remember it was November 2nd, 2009. I've had two really bad anxiety experiences. Like, if those of you have have ever had anxiety experiences, now the Bible says no one knows your own joy and no one knows your pain, but I would bet mine was much worse than yours, okay? (laughs) Oh, I know, I know, but I'm through it. So that, so that, because I'm through it, I guess, you know, some of you are still dealing with things, so I guess, but, but um, in that, in that time, um, when, when I was at my low point, and I had been through a really bad anxiety attack that was just ongoing, ongoing. It just like you're in an anxiety attack 24-7. Didn't sleep for weeks into months. This was 1994 when Mikhail was born. Uh, spiritual warfare and all that stuff. 
And then in 2009, my, my, even, in, even serving under Pastor Mel all these years, and you notice I said serving under Pastor Mel. I served under Pastor Mel for a little while, and then it was like, I think, 98, I became the senior pastor. And Pastor Mel was just, well, he was the encourager. He was the one going out and getting people saved and, and all that sort of thing. But in that time, I still got into this whole performing, and, and if I don't do it right, if, I, if, I'm, not, if I'm not doing Everything that I can do, then like I'm failing. And, and I started putting this burden on myself that grew and grew and grew to where I was overwhelmed, to where I, these anxiety things started happening again. And I was like, now, now I'm like in my 40s and I'm like, God, I cannot handle this. You're going to have to kill me. In fact, it was so bad. Uh, I, I can understand where people, people that are suicidal, uh, why they do it. Because I was suicidal. I mean, I mean, the demons of suicide were right on me. And I had to stop and think. And part of it was my messed up theology, I guess, helped me out a little bit. Because the thing that, 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 I, that kept me from doing it two different times was, how can I do this and still get to heaven? And you can ponder that a little bit. How can I do this and still get to heaven? And what about my family? The only reason I didn't grab a gun and pull the trigger. So those of you that experience this sort of thing, there is hope and there is a way out. On November 2nd, 2009, uh, when I said, words that some, I've talked to some other people that they said in different areas of their life, they're just like, God, I give up. I surrender. I cannot do this anymore. I am done. And I'm like, God, I cannot just believe anymore. I can't confess it. I can't just, it's not, I can't do it. And, and I mean, I was to the point where I was waiting. I, I was laying there expecting an angel to walk in and say, well, you did okay, you, but your life's over, and you know, take me off. I was praying the angel would come and do that because I knew I couldn't kill myself. And uh, it was November 2nd, 2009, right after that, when I, when I surrendered, that light started coming to me. And it came in the form of some, uh, some people and connections that, that got me turned and started going uh, in the right direction. And in that time, I'm like, God, what got me here again? What got me here? I cannot believe that this happened to me again. I mean, it's one thing to go through, uh, you know, hell once, and then you're like, I'm never doing that again. And then you find yourself going through it again, and you can't get out of it. And those that have experienced deep depression and anxiety at the same time, I mean, you know. I mean, there's a physical part of this whole thing, and there's a spiritual part. I believe the spiritual, the demons ride in on the physical. You know, we, we get messed up physically because we don't understand certain things. You know, we burn it on both ends and all that. We're not eating right. And all that stuff plays together. And so I'm like, how did this happen again? And, I'm, and that's what I said. I'm, I'm done. I give up. And it's like Jesus put his arms under me, and he's like, finally, you bonehead. No, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> finally, you idiot. <laughs> you know, take, take me and like spin me and slam. No, no, no. I was like, yes, Lord, kill me. Kill me. And I, and I really was like, kill me. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he just picked me up, and he started teaching me. And he started leading me back to the Scriptures and leading me. And through different things, I would turn on, on the TV. And some of these TV programs... Like, I, I'm not the huge fan, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of Christian TV, because I think it's just like, man, if the, if the kids see this, if the youth see this, they're going to be like, I don't want to be a Christian. <laughs> I remember one time, <laughs> I digress here for a moment, rabbit trail, I remember one time I was preaching at Faith Mountain, and I was describing the scene in Ezekiel where, where there were these elders, and they had eyes all over their head, and they were like these round things that were rolling around, and like really, really weird-looking sci-fi creatures, and then I'd be like, and then afterwards I'm like, don't you want to go to heaven too, kids? You know, it's like, <laughs> scare the absolute heaven out of them. So anyway, I digress. Why did I digress on that? Uh, back to uh, the Lord lifting me up uh, with His grace and starting to teach me and watching these shows on TV. There were people, like some of these that I thought were just kind of prosperity thing, and I'd been there, done that, and it works, but it was like, it, I mean, it does. You give in faith to ministries and such, God will bless you. It's just not all there is because servants and subjects of the kingdom can operate in sowing and reaping, but only sons can be sons. Let that sink in. We are not at the, we are not the sum result of what we've sown. And I, I honestly believe that. 
bless God, I'm going to sow, I'm going to sow, I'm going to sow, I'm going to give thousands away, I'm going to give cars, I'm going to give boom, 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 whatever I could give, because it's happened in my life at different times, got me out of jams. Okay, and we're just going to give our way out. When we, God, God pulled the chain on me on that. It's like, it's not that the principles aren't real, but there's something that supersedes the principles. When Jesus came to minister on the earth, he did not walk around trying to keep the law. Let's just get it, you know. He's not walking around like this little book like, okay, I can't get too close to this guardrail. I can't get this. kind of like us driving down the road. We're not trying to drive down like trying to stay off the guardrails. Bam, bam. We don't even, if we are good drivers, how many good drivers do we have? If we're good drivers, we don't even think about the fact that a guardrail is there. And so Jesus didn't minister like that. Jesus came and he superseded the law so far beyond, it was like he wasn't keeping the law, he was changing the rules. He wasn't changing the rules. He was giving life that overrides these laws that we put on ourselves, which comes back to the law of God. Jesus didn't come to keep a bunch of laws, but oh, he fulfilled them. In fact, if you read in the Bible, and this would be very helpful, because I, I didn't, I'm wondering why like, I get confused when I read the Gospels, because I'm like, Jesus would say things like, you know, you've heard it was said, uh, if you're angry with your brother, you know, uh, that's not good. And I'm telling you, or something like that. He's like, I'm telling you, know, if you murder your brother, that, that you know, you're guilty. And he's like, I'm telling you, if you're angry with them, you're going to hell. And they're like, what? So, he said things like that. If you just look, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you do it with someone that's not your, your spouse, then you committed adultery. But I'm telling you, if you even look to lust, you're going to hell. And these people are like freaking like, Jesus, you're supposed to be coming along to bring us life and not bring us, you know. But he brought the law to its pinnacle. When Jesus ministered, especially with the Pharisees, he brought the law to its pinnacle. And if you read just the Gospels, you get a funky, you get a funky theology out of it. Because Jesus would say, he finally said, the sum total of the law is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The sum total of the law. Question, who's doing that? How many of you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Raise your hand so I can grab you and beat, beat it. Just beat it. No, I'm sorry, I digress. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, we can't do it because it's the sum total of the law. Jesus is like, and when he talks to this rich young ruler, remember the rich young ruler? And he, and he says, and he gives him a few different, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can look, it's in like Luke chapter 18, I believe. And he says, you know, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was like, well, you know the rules. Don't drink, don't drink smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do. <laughs> Doesn't say that. I'm just making that up, Ken. All these I have kept since my youth. What a, what a hypocrite. All those commands he's kept? No. What he did, he would mess up. He would go take a goat, an innocent goat, kill it, sheep or whatever, and throw all of his sin on that and get over for a year. That's what he did. He didn't keep those from his youth. He was as guilty, but Jesus didn't smile. Jesus didn't. He, if I were Jesus, I'd have been hammering him right then and there because, you know, get it right. That's what a teacher is. Get it right. And I've been like, no, you, th- what? I, I, and I would start quoting dates. How about this? How about that? How about this? How about, ah! you know, the guy would be like, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. But he didn't. All he did was he got to his one thing that he had an issue with, and he dealt with that. But in the next chapter, with Zacchaeus, who robbed the people and such, and climbed the tree and robbed the people, and uh, Jesus didn't give him any rules or anything like that, and yet his response was, for this salvation, I want to give everything that I have. Or I want to give fourfold and, and to the poor. If I've robbed any money, I pay them back, pay them back fourfold. I, I'm not quoting completely. But it's a completely different deal because Jesus ministered the law to one and grace to another. And if you don't understand that in the Gospels, then you're going to read some of these Gospel scriptures and you're going to be like, oh, man. And then you're going to read another one and be like, oh, yeah. And you read another one, oh, because Jesus was still ministering in the Old Covenant and he was still bringing the law to the people that needed the law and bringing grace to the people that need grace. There's a ministry, uh, uh, what is it, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron have this ministry, it's Hell's Best Kept Secret, where they'll take, they take the law of God, they'll go onto the street, usually maybe the Wall Street or something like that. I've ministered on Wall Street before years ago and those people are pretty hard. And they would get them pulled aside and start giving him, like, uh, do you think you're a good person? <laughs> best person I know, you know, like, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. And then they would give them, well, this is what God's standard is. This is what God's standard is until they're ready to repent. I've found around here, personally, that most people know that they've screwed up. 
They know that they're sinners. We're not living on Wall Street where the people are like this arrogant, like, I got it all together. You know, we're out in, the, in Canton. You know, Canton. Uh, the Gospels. Don't read the Gospels and then think, I need to do this, because you will be under a huge law. Do not read them thinking, I need to do this. There are certain principles that carry over. It's not to the book of Acts. The Acts was really written for us, but you know, after the book of Acts, Romans and all that was written to us. If you want to know, if you want to live in God, what God has given to us, you've got to live in Romans and afterwards. Because that's the revelation of grace, the grace of God that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. We are not called to try to get it right. And that's been my mantra, you know, for years. Get it right. And, and you know, I would say there, are two tree, there were two trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of get it right. And that's really what the law is. Get it right. God never wanted people relating to these rules. You know, he doesn't want, the God always wanted people to relate to him. The law, although very good, was never intended to bring us life. It was intended to show us that we can't do anything to, to cause sin to rise up in us. The more we read, the funky thing is, the more you read thou shalt and all that sort of thing, the more you're going to go out and sin and break the commandments. It's kind of like if this room were full of chocolate cakes. You'd be like, I have to smell another chocolate cake, you know, whatever. Because they're everywhere. Whatever your favorite thing is. Mine would be Sicilian pizza, pepperoni, whatever. You know, I have a salt tooth, not so much a sweet tooth. So whatever it is that you really like, if it's everywhere, you just like, whatever. You know, I was reading the psalm and made silver. It was just like, whatever, they throw silver out. But if we had one chocolate pie, and you are like, your sugar level is like dropping or whatever, and you see that chocolate pie, and you're looking. And then two or three people, wow. Why? Because sin, the Bible says, seizing the opportunity, opportunity afforded by the commandment, only one pie, thou shalt not have pie, or whatever, uh, causes those desires to rise up in us and kills us. And so if we try to live by keeping, by doing good and doing right, you know, now I got, I remember, remember when I said I got saved and I was just like, okay, now what do I need to do to live a good Christian life? I would read all these books, Seven Steps to This, 12 Steps to That, all these principles, and the principles are real. The principles are true. We were never intended to live by principle. Jesus did not come, and this is not heresy, by the way. Jesus did not come to earth and live by a bunch of principles. He came to bring life. He said in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh but for one reason, to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your joy, steal your life, steal, steal everything you can. Kill you, destroy you. I have come that they, which that they is us, may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows if you have the Amplified Bible, that's what that would say. I have no clue whether I've been preaching a, a, a long time or... A, did I just start? Okay. <laughs> I should ask the youth. They will be honest with me. All right, I'm going to try to bring this down quick and, and really get to some application for us. Um, one of the things that was really, really powerful that... When I watched Beth, Beth Moore this week on um, Life Today with James and Betty Robeson, she has a, a little teaching on there that Deb would try to get me to go watch. I'm like, okay, I'll watch Beth Moore. And, and, and I would do that, and then I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. I'm going like, to steal that. You know, I'm going to steal that. So I'm going to give her credit for this. But, but she, she said something, uh, a couple things. She said, we, we get saved by grace, then we try to live under the law, which is Galatians chapter 3 says that. And, it, and also she said, God seems to, in our understanding, allot to us only so much grace. When you are born, you get X amount of grace. And then when you burn through it, you are, I don't know what kind of word I want to use here. Um, you're done. <laughs> And that can be our understanding. How many of you right now as you sit here, you might have come in here thinking, man, I'm getting toward the end of the grace of God in my life. In fact, maybe I've even committed the unpardonable sin. You don't have to raise your hand, but, but, you, kind of, but you, you, know, you know how bad you are. You know how messed up you are. You know how you've sinned. You know how you have sinned. And if I were to leave it like that, you would be just like, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad I went to church for some guy to tell me how much I've sinned. The, the good news is that your sins have already been paid for by the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we don't understand that, see, we've got this theology, and I've had it for years, that I get saved by grace, and then all my sins in the past are forgiven. But then I go on, and it's just like, you know, uh, I better walk the line. I better toe the line, because if I mess up, and, I, and, and God forbid I get killed, am I going to make it? Here I am in ministry, okay? <laughs> 
Can you believe this? Here I am in ministry, living like that. I mean, I wouldn't completely admit to that because we, we're all fake, you know. We all have our fake thing, things we wear. I wouldn't have admitted to that, but that's how I would live. If, if, I'm, if I screw up, if I foul the works, if I do something wrong, if I sin after the, Jesus has already cleansed me, and I don't get that one co- confessed and covered, and then someone, you know, when I step out and get run over by a truck or something, whatever weird way, you die, you're up a hellish creek without a paddle, so to speak. Is that any way to live? Did the blood of Jesus stop when you got saved? Did the blood of Jesus stop when you got saved? No. No. In fact, it goes all the way into the future. And people are afraid. At first, when, I, when God started revealing this to me, I'm just like, hmm. Because you know, if you think that, you know, if, if your sins in the future are covered too, does that mean that you, number one, yeah, and I overthink things. Does that mean uh, that, that I could go out and tend to sin and that would be covered? Something like that? But the reality is, what Jesus showed us with sin is that he or she who is forgiven much loves much. It's not the opposite. If we knew that we're forgiven for sins, are we going to just throw, throw, a, throw up at the grace of God? And be like, well, thanks for getting me out of that. Now, now that my sins are covered, and then I am secure, and, and now I'm not going to get into eternally security and all that sort of thing, although, I mean, I mean, I guess my perspective has changed a bit on it. I do believe we need to watch ourselves when it comes to idolatry and rebellion, and that's all I'll say about that. And I can't define that for the sake of time. Okay? But... But if I'm walking here with the Lord, if I have an understanding I've already been forgiven and that he loves me much, I'm going to say, instead of keeping a relationship with the rules, I'm going to be like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that this thing has no more power over me. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Otherwise, and when people, and people will say, and I realize that there's these hyper whatever, hyper grace, hyper this and hyper that. You don't have to fear that sort of thing. Just, just be saved and live for God, you know? I mean, it's like they're going to be hyper everything. I want hyper grace. I want hyper faith. I want, I want, you know, I'd like to fly, Mr. Incredible or whatever. Just this reality of the grace that we walk in, our sins are covered. And it's not so that we can go out and repeat sins. It's so that we, out of the forgiveness that's been given to us, we live a life of forgiveness, a life of blessing, and extend that forgiveness and extend that grace because grace has been extended to me. I want to extend grace to others. So I am here today as I begin to close. I'm here today to tell you that you and I have not even begun to scratch the surface of God's amazing grace revealed in the cross of Jesus. Can I see the message Bible rendition of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14? This is that benediction that I started with. The amazing grace. It said, and now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God in the fellowship of the Spirit. The amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, who, who is God there? The Father. Only fathers and mothers have sons, but Jesus went on further to, to, to uh, define our, that it's a Father, Heavenly Father. We won't get into all that, because, yeah, I won't, even, I won't even touch that. But there's a whole different, different revelation there that's good, good, good stuff. And the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, we haven't even scratched the surface. Just as we were saved by grace, we are also to live by grace. You've been saved by the unmerited favor of God and the goodness of God and the fact that you are his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Let me say that to you. You are his beloved in whom he is well pleased. You say, well, but you don't know what I did. I don't care. He doesn't care, okay? You say, well, of course he cares. Jesus took a lot of uh, punishment. (laughs) Jesus took all the wrath of God on him so that God the Father could turn to you and say, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. You, you, you. I am greatly pleased with you. Yeah, but I haven't done anything yet. I am greatly pleased. We know how that is as parents. You give your two-year-old a crayon and then maybe they'll write on the washer or something like that. And then you'll look at it and be like, art from my child. I knew she was going to be an artist. I am so pleased with you. But she couldn't do anything. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. We're not God. Right? And yet he's pleased with us. 
He loves you intensely, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's not. He doesn't. Does God just wink the eye at sin? Uh, If you call smiting Jesus with 10 zillion volts of whatever and all that crap stuff put on him, if you call that winking at sin, no, it was put. Your punishment was paid for. So he can look at you and say, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. See, when you get a revelation of that, that's what I was talking about, revelation. When it hits you here and it hits you here, you start living like a son or daughter of God. We come into the kingdom as kids, God's kids' children. Children, the Bible says, aren't, aren't really treated any different than, than servants. They have to be kept you know, under, under guard and under, under rules and such. We do use rules with, with kids. But, but that's not the intent. The intent is that they, they would rise up, grow into sons and daughters of the king, and then uh, be formed together as, as living stones and become the bride of Christ. How that happens? How do you take children to sons, to the bride? I have no clue. <laughs> I do not know. But what I do know is that God is for you. He is not against you. I love that song, because uh, you are for us and you are not against us. Oh, so many great songs are being written. Just as you were saved by grace, we are also to live by grace. Um, Romans 5.17 says, If by one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man. Who was the one man who trespassed? One guy who did it all. We can beat him up when we get to heaven. No, I'm just kidding. Who's the one man? Adam. We would have done the same thing. How much more will those who receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And so are you still trying to keep your, oh, this is great, uh, this terminology here. Um, you notice in the verse that I just mentioned about the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness um, will result in reigning in life. It's not resulting from us trying to get our act together. And I used to say that so many times. If I could just get my act together, if I could just get, if, when he gets his act together, he'll be doing good. Some of you already know where this is going, and that's good. Uh, because God is not interested in your act being together because even if it's together, it is still an act. And God is not interested in the act. When we come to church, of course when we come with other people, it's not in our living room. We're, we're going to show our churchy face and stuff. And when you go through things, sometimes it's difficult to show your, your church face. When Chris, when you were up there preaching, you know, I was just kind of like spacing a little bit, you know, at times. I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you started sharing about your daughter. And I'm just like, bam. Like, and in that, what you went through and, you know, the, the, what the things that you dealt with that no one else knows your joy and no one else knows your pain except for the Lord and how that's changed you. And I know that that's, that has changed your life. And I know that God's plan for you is good and not for evil. And yet, yet when we go through stuff like that, it, it, I mean, it changed you, you. And you brought actually an element of the Father's love to me. That, that really shook me. I woke up in the middle of the night. I didn't tell you this a couple times, like weeping uh, after that. And it wasn't like you, you even belabored it, but you just shared that. And I'm like, wow. Uh, the love of the Father, the love of the Father. And maybe I even had to get where I could be a father like to this age to even be, begin to get the love of the Father. Because remember, for me, what I said, I had the Holy Spirit revelation. Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit. But at least a little bit of the revelation when I, when I came to the Lord all those years, I went through the renewal, no revelation of the Father's love, no revelation of the Father's love. Had that crash in 2009, 25 years after being saved. And then, uh, then during that time, God started showing me his grace. Like, Mike, give up. It's never been about you. It's always been about me. I'm not after your A game. I'm not impressed with your A game. And you hear that terminology too. I'm not after your A game. I am after Jesus. And I'm impressed with you because you're in Christ. Because of that. When I got the revelation of grace starting to sink into me, I went to Bethel, and, uh, and God singled me out. It was halfway through our time there in California, Northern California, wondering, oh, Lord, because it was not easy. It wasn't a vacation. It was pretty rough. Halfway through our time there, and, uh, and the Lord put me in a group of guys. We'd go on these bro dates. I don't even want to talk about that, but go on these bro dates. Um, that's when guys go out. And, and, and these couple guys would start sharing me about the, the love of the Father, love of the Father, having nothing to do with you being Pastor Mike, anything you've done, anything you've done. And they started pouring the love of the Father on me. I could not receive a revelation of the Father's love until after I had had this time of grace. And then, and then it was just like, wow, God's just after my heart. God does not care about all my, anything I've done. 
you know, at the end of my life or whatever, it's not, what do I want on my tombstone? Yeah, I guess that's important, whatever. But, but it's like loving God and, and loving one another and fulfilling the call of God in my life. And so at that time in California, I started receiving the, the Father's love. It was that much time that had gone by. So I'm not perfect, okay? I do not walk in the revelation, the fullness of the revelation of the love of the, of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. No, but, but there's definitely been something that's, that's happened in my life and that God wants to happen in your life. Hallelujah. And uh, we already said this, but I want to reemphasize, we cannot out the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you make it your goal to go, to go out the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, I'd like to have you come down front because you need to get saved, okay? And once you're saved and once you have Jesus in your life, you're not going to want to go and do that sort of thing. You're going to want to have a relationship with him. So God is not standing here judging you or condemning you for your sins. Now let me say that again. I, I'm closing now. God is not condemning you. Maybe if the worship team can make their way up. God is not here condemning you. Jesus is not condemning you. Just as he said to the woman caught in adultery, open Openly caught in adultery. Where the guy was, we don't know. It's another sermon, another story. Openly caught in adultery. And he finally says to her, uh, does anyone condemn you? No, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go in the power of my acceptance of you. My words are added there. And said no more. He wasn't just like, get out of here and stop sinning. No. Go and be empowered to sin no more. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I just want to pray uh, over everyone and then uh, leave it to you whether you feel, if you feel the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you on these things and uh, maybe you've been caught in a performance thing, maybe you've been relating to rules and not the person. The crazy thing is I used this terminology years ago. I tell the youth, I was a youth pastor for a number of years. God doesn't want you relating to the rules. It's not about the rules. It's about relationships. It's about him. Meanwhile, I'm relating to the rules. It's all about the rules. It's all about get it right, get it right, get it right, get it right, get it right. The voice in my head, get it right. Come on, get it right. You don't have to get it right. You do not have to get it right. Just be his son and daughter. Just come to Jesus. Understand his love is intense for you. He wants you. He, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get away from him, it's because you don't understand that he's not condemning you. You say, well, you don't know what I did. We could all give our testimonies, and it wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened. You don't know what I struggle, but I'm in leadership and I struggle with it. Yeah, yeah, of course you're going to. When we put laws on people, we don't give an opportunity for people to experience the grace of God. That happens in leadership across the board. That they, they, it's like you, you can't sin or you're going to be excommunicated or whatever. It's like we all sin. The, the way that Danny Silk would say it out at Bethel is when, when people reach leadership level, we take the toilets out of their house because they cannot poo anymore. And it's ridiculous. So God loves you right where you are. Let me just say, God wants you right where you are. Stop striving to try to keep whatever it is that's been put on you and you can be an older person here and still hear the the words of your mother or your father saying get it right or oh that was good but your sister did or that was good but or whatever it is that you've experienced you might be hearing him experience actually abusive stuff wondering where was God in the midst of that that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time but but God was there by his spirit and wants to restore but the reason that God doesn't do everything that he wants to do is because he, is, he does not have the final authority yet on this earth. But the day is coming. This, the, that authority was given to Satan, the God of this world, through Adam. And that's why things are still messed up. That's why people still divorce. That's why bad things still happen. If there's a God, why doesn't he fix it? Oh, he wants to fix it. He did it on the cross. We've got to preach. How can they hear unless they hear the good news? How can they hear unless they know someone tells them that you are forgiven? You are forgiven.